You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. We're your hosts, Brandon and Allison, and this week we are talking about fermented chicken feed. And if you do not have your own chickens and have no interest in them, you may still want to listen to this episode because there's plenty to learn. We'll have all this and more in episode 77. So you know how I am uh, very interested in yogurts? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm... I decided to take that little obsession a little bit farther, and uh, my wife and I brought home our first two dairy goats this last weekend so that we can eventually have our own milk to then I can experiment a lot more with uh, with yogurt and with cheese. Did I mention that to you before? To experiment more with getting dairy goats? I know that you, you told me that you got some dairy goats, but we haven't talked about it. Okay, um, good. I didn't know if I had all. told you yet. So yeah, I, I have them, and um, they're they're wonderful. They won't be in in milk until next year at some point but the process has begun the first steps have been taken and soon i will be able to just have an abundance of goat milk to start experimenting with mm-hmm. and so like some of those different things have gotten me thinking about well for one mainly feed like how do i feed them and then that got me into thinking about fermented feed and then being able to feed them differently because there's all kinds of opinions on feed for animals and and how to feed them for the proper nutritional benefits, just as there's all kinds of information out there for, for humans as well. Right. And so I looked into a little bit about fermenting uh, food for them and, and there's mixed input on whether goats should get grain, if at all, uh, milking goats, possibly more likely to get it than others, but it might mess up their rumen, which is that stomach pretty much where the fermentation process inside of them goes on from everything that they eat. So I can sometimes make an imbalance there, but some people are fermenting grain for that. And I haven't dug in deep enough to that one to really understand a whole lot, but I figured we could talk today about uh, fermenting chicken feed because there is plenty of coverage on that on the internets for uh, how to do that and why a person may want to do that. So I guess first to start with, could you, if you wanted to, even have chickens in San Diego? Yeah, yeah. There's um, a, you can you can have chickens as long as you don't have any hens. Or, I'm sorry, um, <laughs> roosters. Whoa, that was completely wrong. You, you can have only have loud, aggressive <laughs> roosters. I'm sorry, baby brain. There for a second. You can you can have hens, but you cannot have roosters. Um, and if a lot of the pet shops here do sell uh, baby chickens. Um, not like the pet smarts or, um, pet smarts or pet co's and that sort of thing, but like the smaller, um, pet stores kind of specialize in having, um, those little chickens and, um, that sort of thing. So yeah, you can have it. I think there's also regulations on how close their, their houses are to your neighbor's house. And, um, the, there's a few other rules, but I know that you can have them. We see them all the time. Okay. I wonder when they started doing, I know like Madison, uh, I'm not in Madison proper, so my regulation's a little different, but in, in Madison, I, as far as I understood, they were one of the first, uh, places that started regulating or, or reallowing chickens to be in, in backyards and madchickens.com, I think is somewhere people can go for stuff uh, like information on all kinds of backyard chickening kind of stuff. And then there are all kinds of forums out there for backyard chickens now, because yeah, plenty of places do allow it. And even I was actually surprised. I didn't realize Going back to the goats, some places allow goats. Do, does San Diego allow goats? I'm not. I'm not sure about that, but I know that some people do have pigs in San Diego. Um, our old neighbor is still. I mean, we haven't. It's our old 
old neighbor, but they have like a it's not a potbelly pig, but um it's a certain type of pig that kind of is the gray area between um a pig that you would use and um have on a farm and slaughter and that you would eat versus um the kind of pig that you have in your house. Um, I don't know what kind it is. We never really talked about it, but they just you just see this big pig walking around. Um, they would have it on a leash and walk it like a dog. So I think there's a lot of room for when it's a pet, like what's considered a pet. I mean, I know a lot of people have goats as just pets. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know where that line is everywhere, but I know like places like Seattle actually allow dairy goats in a person's backyard. Probably there's plenty of regulation around that as to like how many people can have or whatnot like that. But I think these things are great. I don't know why people shouldn't be able to, for some of these smaller animals, I can understand like raising a few heads of cattle, right? <laughs> a quarter acre would be insane, but uh, in city limits, but you know, like certain things are definitely possible. And, and so goats and chickens are definitely in that realm. Um, the, the goats, I can totally understand. Like I can understand pigs too, like becoming more pet-like. Uh, I think people have chickens as pets, but they definitely seem more livestocky to me. Um, they don't seem as much like pets. They seem like they're there for a purpose and a wonderful purpose, and they are entertaining to watch. But like, I couldn't imagine myself going around with a leash with a with a chicken. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people here raise them. Well, I think that kind of people get so attached to the chickens here. Oh yeah, um, that it basically becomes a you know part of your family, like the same way a dog or a cat would. Um, and we have a lot of friends that do have chickens and they have a hard time letting go once of the chicken once um, they're old enough and they are not really laying eggs anymore. Like what to do with this chicken? Do they just keep it until the, the the chicken passes away or what, whatever it is? Be the same thing as like putting your dog down. Like it's very emotional attachment to that animal. Um, so I feel like that maybe is more here in San Diego. I don't know why. Um but, you know, I grew up on a farm. Um, we didn't have chickens, uh, but we had lots of other animals. And um, we we just kind of knew that the difference between this is an animal that is for livestock and that we need we need to eat it versus the dog, which is a friend and companion. So I don't know. Yeah, it seems like we could have a totally off topic conversation just in regard to like yeah, the psychology of that. <laughs> Yeah, this, that's completely – that's another show or another topic on another day. <laughs> but it, it is fascinating. It's still the same because I, I mean I don't come from a farm background. So like all of this kind of stuff is more new to me and it's kind of – I guess in the sense not coming from any kind of farm background, not having any kind of uh, preconceived notions of how things should be. I can kind of choose what I want things to be. But sometimes that can be a little confusing too because things like chickens that have gotten too old or you know thinking long, long into the future – what it would like when a, when a goat is no longer milking well enough or anything like that. Like, I don't know if I'm in the mindset of like a total farm unless I needed to be like, if, if it was, it was required, like I couldn't feed these animals, like they needed to be there producing something or else I could not afford to keep them on the farm. That's one thing. But like, yeah, a lot of people in San Diego, a lot of people elsewhere, it's kind of hard not to get attached to these animals, especially for people that aren't used to being around livestock. So like, I totally, I totally get that. And I'm kind of ask me in a few years, but like, I'm still in the mindset of like, if they've, if they've served their purpose like i'm okay with eating meat and everything like that but like if if they've if they've had years of service then they can uh then they can have a retirement plan that doesn't involve chopping their head off or doing things like that right yeah i think i kind of fall into that category even though when we were growing up it was you know you had a you had a 
pig or a cow that you showed in the fair and then you sold it to make money um, and that was it. But um, again, that's a whole other topic. Um, but tell me more about this fermented feed that um, you mentioned. Well, okay. So fermented chicken feed, I've heard about it a lot and I've had chickens for, I don't know, I don't even think a year yet or maybe, no, not yet. So then the idea of feeding them fermented feed makes a lot of sense. It would seem to make things more bioavailable and as it does for humans, even soaking grains, which a lot of the, the chicken feed is, is a grain mixture. So soaking that would make sense that it would, you know, remove some of the, the phytic acid and also just make it more digestible. But it, it appears that there is actually more to it. So in, well, stepping back before that, pretty much all we're talking about is soaking grains. And now some people have more elaborate systems of actually doing that, but at the end, we'll kind of go over what some of those methods are. Well, is this, is this kind of the same thing as, um, pig slop, like the same idea as using, um, grains. And, um, when we had pigs, we would feed them grains and put it in their trough trough, and then we would soak it in water. Um, Right before they would eat it. It wouldn't be like a day before we would have to go out and prep their food or anything like that. Is it kind of like that or does it require more prep work? Well, okay. So how long are you letting it be wet? Be wet? Oh, maybe like, uh, I mean, pigs would probably, they would maybe like a second. I mean, we would be feeding them and then we would slop it with water or some other liquid to make it really wet. Now, I wonder if there are differences with, with pigs versus, ch- I mean, I'm sure there are differences mammal versus avian, but in the sense of for, for chickens, there are actually benefits just to having the, the wet food. So it's okay. not just being fermented, but so that sounds like it's wet food, but in, you know, like a few seconds, you're not going to obviously get fermentation. So it's not about fermentation for those pigs. What it is for the pigs, I don't know. Do the pigs not eat it if it's not wet? You know, I don't know if we just, if, if it was just something like this is what we do, we just wet the food and the pigs eat it. I don't ever remember just giving it to them dry. I don't know. I'll have to ask someone um, about that and get back to everyone. Because now that I'm thinking about it, it was, yeah, it wasn't any type of fermentation at all. It was just making their food wet, whether it was for ease of them eating it or just, you know, like something that people have always done and there's no reason, rhyme or reason to it. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, it may, if it's anything like chickens for just the benefits of wet feed alone, just wetting a chicken's food is supposedly helps with absorbing the nutrients because it creates a better feed conversion. So the amount of feed going in converts into more either for meat chickens, more weight or for egg laying more eggs in thickness of the egg. Uh, But it has to do with the digestive tract and it actually uh, creates the, the, Vli and makes those makes them grow longer, and so they have more surface area, which allows them to uptake more nutrients. So that's just in the sense of wet food alone, not even fermenting it. There are benefits to doing that as opposed to feeding chickens dry food. Pigs, we'll have to get back to you on. Not exactly oh, okay. sure, but I'll look into it. I'll ask a few people back at home and see if they have any sort of scholarly opinion or advice as to why their food was always wet. The pig's food. (laughs) I can understand wanting, I mean, pigs in some ways are related closely to humans in other ways, not, but like I could understand, like if I was a pig, I, I kind of like some moisture in my food. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that if you get it wet, it's already, some of the nutrients are probably dispersed in that water and more nutrient, you know, more available when they reach your intestines. Cause that's where a lot of your 
vitamins and minerals are ingested or taken into the body. If, if I mean, mammals such as pigs are very, you know, obviously they're similar, similar to us. We fall in the same group, but, um, for, for, um, hens, that's, that's a completely different type of animal. Um, but you said this research shows that there's more nutrients absorbed in their intestines than if they don't have the fermented feed. Yeah. And I will put some links in the show notes to at least one of the studies on the benefits of feeding a fermented feed or feeding a wet feed in general. The, uh, these are dealing with like commercial production. So the environments and everything are probably different than most people that have backyard chickens of some sort or another, or even people that have small farms. But, um, it, it's still probably applicable in the sense of, yes, how, how digestible the wet feed is or how much more so it is than, uh, than otherwise. The more interesting stuff really does come in with once that's fermented. And so we're talking about like, I mean, things are going to ferment naturally. Once you add water to it, it's going to start to, uh, just native, bacteria in the air or inoculating it with um, certain bacteria starter cultures, you're going to get a ferment pretty quickly, but it's going to be like three days seems to be the sweet spot for either the studies or, or more so just from people's anecdotal experiences, which there are a lot of people that have talked about this in online forums. So at least firsthand accounts, there's a lot of experience with, but back to the studies with the fermented feed soaking it, letting it ferment, there's, for one, a, pr- a reduction of pathogenic microorganisms. And a lot of that is just because the the good, happy microorganisms that we want are just creating an environment that's inhospitable to the pathogenic ones, which mm-hmm. more so is probably, I mean, it's important for both, but it probably is more important for meat. Um, just in the sense that the, the crop oftentimes in slaughtering of the meat chickens is um, dispersed and the crop in chickens that are fed fermented feed have a, a cleaner crop per se, the, the less uh, contaminating bacteria like uh, strains of E. coli or Campylobacter. So in the sense of when they're slaughtered, they're less likely to have any spreading of contaminating microorganisms in the area or environment. Um, so that can be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it can be beneficial just in general health for certain chickens or for the eggs that are laid. Could it also be that the, because there's these microorganisms that are produced, that are healthy and happy, they're also reducing the pH of the, of the feed itself. Kind of like, um, not, I don't want to say yogurt, but you know, if you start with milk, which is round pH, like six or seven, and then you make it into yogurt, it has a lower pH, like three or four. I mean that I don't know off the top of my head what the pH yogurt is, but, um, could it be something like that too? Definitely. Yeah. It's that like environment, like you're talking about in the feed itself. Yes. Yeah. The feed itself. Yeah. Where it's creates that environment that is just that lower pH is just inhospitable to non lactic acid bacteria and, um, and many pathogens, at least in levels that are, uh, meaningful that are going to cause potential contamination of anything. So yeah, the, the pH is definitely important. Um, and I guess more important on the side of like, I would say just if it's not much more work, just feed it to the hens anyway, especially for people that are treating their hens more like pets or in that realm of like family members sort of thing. It's like, just feed it because it's probably makes them happier hens and they probably enjoy it and it's delicious. It seems like most hens do, but in the sense of like, what are the benefits for the person raising these chickens? Um, There's the increase in egg weight and eggshell thickness, which 
can be important to people. I mean, again, the, the, the less or for the same amount of food besides added water for the same amount of food, you can get, uh, either larger eggs, uh, laying more days out of the year or a thicker eggshell. And so that would probably be beneficial to anyone that has chickens specifically for their eggs. And on a health side of things, it makes phosphorus more available for the chickens and it decreases the sugar content according to one study by 77%. And then the crude protein increases a little by like 3%, which the protein is important. And that's what's kind of going into eggshells and egg making. Well, this might be a really stupid question, but why is eggshell thickness important um, for someone that's like retrieving eggs? Is it just so then they, they're not as fragile? That is a really good question that I, I have no answer for, except for my like kind of just thought process around it yeah. in a sense of like, it always just feels aesthetically cheaper. Like any, like occasionally I'll get like an egg that's just super thin out of, from my chickens and uh, okay. Like I'll admit it. I, I have like two chickens that are definitely like if they were on a normal farm would have been cold long before. Um, but I mean, they were both bo- born, um, one's nearly completely blind. The other, is, they're kind of albino with like red eyes or whatnot. They like really can't see and they stay mm-hmm. in a small enclosure. Um, there's blind enough where like they, they can't see to jump up onto a step to hop over the chicken wire. So like they stay in a much more enclosed space. So they get far fewer nutrients from just digging around for bugs and different stuff like the, the other ones that we have that just free range. So these ones, sometimes their eggs are just like just weak and thin. They're probably not the healthiest birds. Maybe I need to start this fermented feed will make a difference, but they, they sometimes are really thin. So when I crack those, um, not accidentally, but when using them in cooking or baking, I'm just, it's, it's just kind of disappointing. It's like, oh, it just feels so flimsy and just doesn't feel like I'm getting much there, even if the yolk is fine and everything like that. So I'd say if nothing else, it's the, it's the, the aesthetic appeal of a thicker egg, but I'm sure there's actually more to it and more reason for it. Yeah, sure. I just didn't know if maybe you knew since you had chickens, because I, I read that and I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to bring up that they have thicker shells and there must be some sort of benefit to thicker shells besides them being not as breakable. Cause I know that when you buy eggs at the store, it's based off of, off of weight um, for the most part, I mean, you do get, you still get a dozen eggs and it's kind of a set price, but they are weighed. So if you have a thicker shell, then in a, in the thicker yolk and everything is much more dense about the egg itself, does that, would that change? I'm just thinking more of like from an industrial food side, does, would that change the, the price of the egg too? Um, but we're talking about like homegrown chickens in your backyard. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe we have people listening to the show that are industrial chicken farmers and, uh, they can let us know, but I, I'm guessing probably not. So yeah, the people that do it in the backyard, I know that my eggs range in size. So like, I don't know, is it by weight or is it by size that it goes by? Well, I think they like separate them and there's like grade A and grade to grade triple A. And I, I know that that's how they grade the eggs and the quality of the eggs. So I guess too, if that, if, I mean that you still get a dozen eggs, but they're all grade triple A. I think that that's the best one. I can't remember. Um, but whatever it is, like you all, you get the same triple dozen of triple grade eggs. And that's where the price difference is when you go to the grocery store. Um, so I was just thinking more from that side of the, you have fermented chicken feed 
there's probably a lot more nutritious for the person who's eating it too. Like what you said, there's more, there's not a significant, more significant, more protein in it, but there's less sugar. Um, I'm assuming like in the form of carbohydrates, not like what we like sugar, like glucose or true. Yes. Yeah. Like sweet sugar that we associate the word sugar with. Um, I don't think they're putting that in chicken feed, but I don't, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's sugar and everything else that yeah. is processed and, and that you can buy at the store. Um, so I was just think kind of going down that thought, um, even though it's completely off again, like different than, um, growing chickens in your backyard. Cause I don't really know that much about chickens and how they're, how they're raised and, um, things of that nature. But now what kind of feed do you use? Or is there like a ratio of feed to water? Like, how do you go about making the right type of fermented chicken feed? And is this something that you have to do like days in advance and then um, you keep it for about a week and you just scoop out maybe, I don't know how much you feed a chicken, like a cup or two and feed it to them or? Yeah, I don't know exactly how it translates to like for for my chickens, they get fed like a uh organic chicken feed that is just already premixed with a lower protein level than like most uh, commercial chickens because some of the heirloom breeds or whatnot don't need as much protein and they're not going to produce quite as much as like the commercial chickens are anyway. So it's like just a organic feed of any kind, like pretty much any chicken feed can be fermented. Um, and so it doesn't matter if uh, what kind of form it's in supposedly add water to it and then you will get the fermented product within about three days. So it is something that has to be done in advance. When I was looking at things for goats and for chickens, it does appear that a person can do it um, and let it ferment for longer or shorter periods of time, but beneficial wise. And then uh, most chickens tolerance levels is within that three day range. So if a person doesn't have like, if we're talking backyard chickens, not if we're talking about like a small farm or anything with, with way more chickens, mm-hmm. but if it's a person with like four or less chickens, it's very easy to make a feed just in like in a Mason jar because yeah, mine get uh, my five, they do free range on a decent amount of land. So they get most of their food from foraging throughout the day for bugs or whatever they're eating. And so they only get like two cups between five of them. Um, and so, I don't know where that fits on the range of what most people are feeding or people that are just like full on backyard chickens and coops. But either way, like I should be able to just add water to that. Um, And so it would just be whatever they're getting um, would be that plus water. And so that's the easiest way to, to go about it. And it just needs to be just, just water, just over the top. So like you are going to drain some of that water, the, any of the residual water. I mean, I don't know, maybe you could put it in, in drinking bowls for them to drink. It wouldn't be like there'd be anything wrong with it, but Mm -hmm. otherwise it's just, they're not going to drink it out of a bowl with their food. So it's pretty much just soak it. Like there's a Mason jar. I'll put that in, in the, in the show notes as well, like of, of images and someone that does it in a three day cycle. So they'll start it, um, you know, jar one, um, then on the third or on the fourth day gets fed to the chickens. So three full days of fermentation on the fourth morning, it gets fed to the chickens and each day they start a new one and then rotate. They, so they use three glass Mason jars and rotate between for people that are doing and feeding more chickens. They're doing things in buckets and sometimes just to make the straining process easier, they drill holes in one bucket and then 
have the second bucket inside so that when they fill it up with water and then they let it ferment and then when they're ready to strain it, they just pull out the top bucket, all the water drains out those drilled holes in the in the inside bucket and the exterior bucket holds all of that liquid, which again, I don't know if people are doing anything with, but I don't know why they wouldn't kind of use that, that so-called brine of sorts and maybe try and give it to the chickens if they drink it. But so that those are kind of the, the, the main two ways of doing it, but there isn't a whole lot. Okay. I guess the other thing people do add apple cider vinegar, which is one thing I need to look into more because I don't understand. I can understand lowering the pH adding the apple cider vinegar, but they're also talking mm-hmm. about using apple cider vinegar with a mother. So, you know, something like Bragg's vinegar or homemade apple cider vinegar. I don't understand the idea of adding acetic acid and acetic acid bacteria to something that we want lactic acid fermentation from as being beneficial. And so I'm really confused as to what that is. Yeah, that seems kind of strange because lactic acid is made in a different pathway than than acetic acid. So unless they're wanting to take some of the, well, I guess um, if there's, I, I mean, this is more from the standpoint of yeast. Um, and I guess some some bacteria can do this, but it's mostly common with yeast. They take carbohydrates and they're broken down into smaller sugars that then they can use to make ethanol. That's how um, alcohol is made um, from a food standpoint or um, a biofuel standpoint. But um, and you need that lactic acid bacteria to to convert the ethanol into lactic acid. So that's how you can get rid of the ethanol. But when it comes to ethanol or I'm sorry, lactic acid and acetic acid, they're two completely different pathways that would not be involved with each other. So that's kind of interesting that you mentioned that some people add apple cider vinegar or something like that to it. Maybe it's to break down because um, maybe to break down the the sugars or other starches in, in the feed to something that's usable by other bacteria. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I understand like there's there. It would make sense. I don't know in three days if that's enough for those pathways to occur, but it would make sense if the, the lactic acid fermentation process, there would also be acetic acid bacteria, since we're dealing with grains and we're potentially dealing with uh, wild yeast in the air as well, could there be a little bit of alcoholic fermentation? Now, it, taking aside the acetic, adding the apple cider vinegar, but just just in general, if we had wild yeast and bacteria, in three sure. days, could there be fermentation by the, uh, by the yeast that then uh, the ethanols would be fermented by the acetic acid, creating a... a, a acidobacteria and then turning that into acetic acid? Yeah, yeah. I think that's totally possible. I mean, there's even on the feed itself, I'm sure the dry feed, there's some sort of wild back or wild yeast growing on it. And once it gets wet, then it becomes um, this perfect environment for the yeast to convert whatever sugars they can um, into ethanol. And um, the acetic acid bacteria can convert that ethanol into acetic acid. Um, and yeast are a lot faster at growing than bacteria. So I can see that being within like the first first day or two that you can have a lot, not like a ton of ethanol, like what you would think of for um, like a beer fermentation or a wine fermentation because um, you have slightly different grains and lots of different, th- lots of different starting products and stuff like that. But um, I can see that happening. It'd be very, very possible. 
So, if, I mean, because it, it is, at least according to one of the studies, there there is both lactic acid and acetic acid. Um, the acetic acid is on a much lower level uh, the, in, the, in the final numbers of the measured fermented feed. Uh, and so they are getting some of that acetic acid. And, and so it must be from that process or from adding it. I just... I just still, my hunch is that the adding of apple cider vinegar is probably just, it helps lower the acidity. So then the, the likelihood that it's going to be com- contaminated is far less. It's kind of like adding salt to vegetable ferments. Right. It's creating an environment that the lactic acid can, can use and those yeasts can use. It's kind of your guarantee that this is going to work. Yeah. The, the live aspect part of it, I'm not exactly sure. I would think that there would be enough native bacteria, both lactic and acetic acid. Uh, or uh, acetic bacteria that would be able to to ferment there. But I mean, again, not everyone uses it. And some people even add like baker's yeast to it too. So people are adding all kinds of stuff and still mm. getting supposed results. Some people talk about the feathers um, looking shinier and different stuff that is oftentimes talked about when nutritional aspects with different animals. So there is plenty to, to try. I'm actually amazed that this is been so popular over the years and one of the the major forums that uh like backyard chickens has a a topic that had something like 1650 pages to the to the to the forum post talking about mainly for meat birds and feeding um feeding chickens for for meat feeding them the fermented feed but there was plenty in there about laying hens as well so you can get plenty of at least again anecdotal experience and uh, real world experience around how this works for different people and how they might do it slightly different and what little techniques they might do differently. So if you have a lot of time, just go read that. Just go read it all because that would just be hours of reading. And since it is a forum, I'm sure there's plenty of disagreements and um, uh, constructive criticism and all the sorts. So that would be one place to go if a person is trying to do this. And and if you don't have any chickens, just get out there and get some. Find out the regulations and, and go get some because hopefully this excites you and be like, hey, maybe... Maybe I can have hens in my backyard and feed them fermented foods. Um, I use eggs in a lot of foods, so I want them to be as good as possible. And I'm sorry that I have not fed my chickens better yet, but I will follow up in the future with this in regard to how it works with, with my chickens. And you can, again, find all of these notes in the show notes for this episode. It's episode 77, so they'll be at firmup.com slash podcast slash 77. And you can connect with us on Twitter at firmup, on Facebook at firmup, and anywhere else at firmup. And until next time, firm up! <laughs>